Welcome back to another episode of Meredith with Why. I'm going to continue the conversation, and this should be the final episode on this, about adult children of emotionally immature parents and attachment theory, so stay with me. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willits. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Okay, so if you haven't listened to this entire series and you're just kind of checking in now, I suggest going back to the first episode in the series and listening through. I've got a lot of amazing feedback on the series. I think every single human being on the planet deals with attachment disorder in some way, shape, or form or deals with internalizers or externalizers. And I think that this is very valuable knowledge for any human being that deals with another human being. So I'm going to continue on today going through, again, the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents by Lindsay Gibson. And one of the things I want to talk about today is recognizing that we play roles in any situation. And I believe that as we become adults, we slip into, slide into the roles that we played in childhood. I don't know if I talked about this before in this series, but if you've ever had a conversation with a friend where they're constantly picking the wrong partner, or they always have the same problems with friends or at work, they're most likely playing their childhood role of a dysfunctional family or a toxic situation or whatever it is. And so they play the role of the victim. They play the role of the alpha, whatever it is, because it's comfortable. It's comfortable to them. They understand how to slide into that role. But as you start to awaken from kind of this fog of your role and see yourself in this role and recognize, hey, I don't want to play this role anymore. I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to be the person that bows down to the people around me constantly. I don't want to dominate other people all the time. I'm not having intimate relationships with people. Or you decide, hey, I don't want to be the negative end of this relationship with my parents. And at the same time, you also understand that unless your parents read this book or do a lot of work, that they're not necessarily going to change. And I think that's one of the most difficult things about doing this work and recognizing your role is that you are not really meant to change the people around you. You are meant to change yourself. You are meant to recognize what you're doing. And then from that point, understand, hey, can I still be in these family relationships with people who are still playing out their role, who are still an externalizer, who still have a lack of intimacy? How can I now recognize the quote-unquote intimacy abuse or lack of intimacy abuse where my family is in this space and I am recognizing what's going on and I don't want to play those games anymore. But at the same time, not be shoving it up their ass, so, so to speak, and saying, you know, you're you're a disaster and I, I can't deal with you anymore. Because honestly, from where I sit and from what I've learned and from what I've watched with myself and with clients and other folks, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. 
they have their own path and journey. They might look at you and go, wow, hey, what are you doing? And you can go, hey, I, I would suggest reading this book. You know, it might it might do you some good. As I've said in the, you know, the beginning, I think I've sent this book, the link to the Amazon uh, link to the book, at least to 10 people. Because I'm like, this is this is mind-blowing information. And now all of a sudden I have tools and realizations and I'm recognizing and making these changes in my life. But if someone's not ready to do this work, if they aren't even recognizing their lack of intimacy, there's not much you can do about it. So now what do you do? You've done the work. They're not doing the work, right? So now what? And like, I am so huge into tools because I need tools. I can't just kind of see the apparition and be like, okay, well, great. Now what, right? Now what do I do? I see it. I feel it. I recognize it. The people are still doing the same shit. I can't change them. I want to change myself. We have basically two options at this point. One of those options, is, and many people in this day and age, many of the, what would it be, Gen Zers and millennials are going no contact. They are deciding, hey, my family is too toxic. My parents refuse to change, et cetera, and I'm out. And I understand this. I get it because it is exhausting being on the awakened side of a toxic relationship. So I understand like, bro, you do not want to do the work. I can't do this with you anymore. For me personally, when I look at relationships where they may be imbalanced or quote, not what I want them to be, I really at this point in my life have zero desire to go no contact because of the fact most likely that I'm just not that person, A. But B, I also know that the regret that I would feel is probably 10,000 times worse than being in an imbalanced relationship. I also am not in a day-to-day -day relationship with any of my family outside of my husband and children. So it's not like, you know, my family is not popping over my house every day. They're not constantly inserting themselves into my life. I live five-hour drive away from everybody. So I do have healthy physical boundaries, which then has created an easier pathway <laughs> to healthy emotional boundaries. It's very easy for me to say, hey, got to go. I got to call. Hey, got to go walking into a doctor's office, changing the subject. I mean, it's all by way of the phone, primarily my relationship. However, I have recently been in a situation with my family and learning these tools has helped me not be so attached to behaviors and has really allowed me to step back. So what are the tools, right? First of all is recognizing, again, the healing fantasy, okay? I believe that healing fantasy is if my, we'll say, for example, if my mom pays attention to me, asks me questions about myself, sees that I'm a success, whatever the if then is, then I will be a whole person. I will feel good. So healing fantasy, and I think that the healing fantasy and recognizing it as such is monumentally groundbreaking psychological uh, realization. The if then and I believe that we, you know, if my kids get a good grade, then I will be okay with who they are. If my husband brings me flowers, then I will feel loved. If my family does X, Y, Z, then everything will be okay. And when we're talking about the attachment disorder, 
right? This is monumental information to me because you can see it and you can see your thought processes by way of the healing fantasy in most many relationships. You recognize people's behaviors, the way that they affect you. If they didn't do that behavior, then I would be okay. You start seeing this pattern in your mind, in the way your body feels, in the way your heart feels. And you recognize I am using other people to affect the way I feel right now. I think this is huge. I didn't recognize my healing fantasy. But once I did recognize, and I kind of in this moment, I'm looking at it like these relationships, these emotional bonds are an extension of self. So my value is based on these relationships, the way these people treat me, what these people do, and then I will feel okay. And the alternative is if they don't do that, I am then not okay. And to take it one step further, but if they would, if I hold my breath long enough, (laughs) right, then everything will be all right. And what we really need to get to is this person is who they are. It is not a reflection of me, of my worth, of my lovability, of any of it. They are separate and siloed away from me. Their behaviors have all to do with them and actually nothing to do with me. And if they are putting their happiness and their expectations on me, that's a them problem. That's a them problem. When I was doing a clothing company and had a product, right? It was very mainstream. It's a clothing company. I'm selling it through a website. I'm doing fashion shows. It's very mainstream success, right? I felt the approval, if you will, of some of my family members in a different way than being, let's say, a psychic medium or life coach, even though I make way more money doing this than that, because it's not mainstream. I remember one time I was talking to somebody about being psychic and they were like, can't you use a different word? <laughs> like, you know, and at the time I was so hurt because it's like, I, I think a lot of people would love to be psychic or have that ability, but you, because it's left of center, it's less than, it's embarrassing to you. And so at the time I took that as an assault on who I am as a person. But now I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's really a you problem where you've grown up. I understand, you know, it looks like a a gypsy, if you will, with a crystal ball and the red flashing sign in the window, but that's not a me problem. That's a you problem. And my worth, my self-esteem is not based on how you feel about me how you interact with me. My job is to understand either A, can I interact with you? And if I can, how do I interact with you? Not that you are an expressed extension of who I am as a person. And I think this is so huge. If you're listening to this series, I want you to recognize when you get into this healing fantasy, if then mindset, that anyone outside of you 
is ever going to be able to show up in the way that you 100% need them to. And if you are relying on this outward person or this outward thing to heal you, complete you, make you feel good about yourself, you are going to come up short over and over and over again. Because People are humans. They've got problems. They came from dysfunctional families or toxicity or, you know, bad education or whatever. I mean, I could literally probably sit on the phone with some of my family members every minute for the rest of my life and try to convince them as to why they are so screwed up in their thinking. And it will be the biggest waste of my time because A, they don't want to change. They're indoctrinated. They have flaws that they are not willing to even look at. And so why am I spinning my tires trying to get them to see the way, the light, whatever you want to call it? It's just a a complete waste of time. So what do we do? We're going to be around family. We don't want to go no contact. We want to be healthy. So there's a few things that I tell people in the past, like this is prior to this book, is when you are dealing with someone who tends to be gossipy or toxic, or they always have this conversation that goes negative, maybe towards politics or religion. They just kind of want to poke the bear. When you're going to be around someone like that, I always say to have 10 conversation starters in your back pocket of things that you can change the subject to. So let's say, for example, every time that you are around your grandmother, she complains about the fact that you dyed your hair red Or every time that you're around your mom, she complains about politics or religion and just starts these very provocative conversations. And you just don't want to do it again today. You just want to have a nice visit. Okay. So first of all, I would suggest to recognize that those behaviors and these conversations are an externalizer conversation. So go back and listen to last week's episode about internalizers and externalizers. So these are people that have no ability to be intimate with you. So all they talk about is shit that lives outside of themselves, the weather, politics, religion, whatever it is, your hair, your clothes, your messy house, their friend's shitty kid, whatever it is, they're constantly talking about stuff they have absolutely nothing to do with you or them. It's not intimate. There's no connection. It's basically just garbage and gossip. So when they start down that path, have 10 points of conversation that you can change the conversation to that you are prepared and want to discuss. They start the triangulation between you and your sibling. Your sibling's not in the room. Oh my God, your brother, he's just such a turd and his wife is such a turd and blah, blah, blah. And you really don't want to go down this toxic path. You don't want to be a part of this conversation. You can instantly say, oh yeah, You cannot imagine what happened to me the other day. I was talking with my friend, blah, 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 blah. Or I saw this great show yesterday about elephants. And it was so mesmerizing the way elephants travel in packs their whole life. You know, these are stuff I'm pulling out right now. So you have 10 things that you want to talk about that you can consistently and continuously throughout the visit change the subject to. So you don't get stuck in their negative vortex. The other thing that I would suggest is when you know that you're going to be around a person that you do want to stay in a relationship, but their toxicity is killing you, is to make the visits short. 
very scheduled, short conversations on the phone. Maybe you call and you know you only have 20 minutes to talk and then Hey, um, I'm so great catching up. Love you so much. I got to I got to let you go. I am walking into a doctor's office, the school, my doc, you know, my appointment, whatever it is. And so it's not abrupt or even when you call, "Hey, I've got 20 minutes, but I just wanted to call and say hi and I love you and blah blah blah, catch you up, etc." And so you you are the steerer of the relationship. You steer how the visit goes, where the visit happens. Is it in public? Is it lunch? Is it coffee? Is it a 10-minute phone call? So that you can maintain a relationship with this person, but it's on your terms. Because you know, hey, if, if this person comes and visits me for three days, we're going to get into a situation. So I know that's not healthy. So I'm going to pre-plan out what our visitation looks like. So topics to change from a toxic conversation to a positive one and scheduling time that makes it conducive and healthy with healthy boundaries for you, knowing what you know about this person. I think the third thing is to recognize, and I think this is very, very important, that you are not going to change this person. I think that the largest source of suffering is thinking that you have the ability to change someone that you do not, and then feeling the frustration and the sadness that goes along with them not changing. You just kind of have to own that they are who they are. You have to love them with where they are at. A lot of times, I know this sounds horrible, but a lot of times I almost kind of feel sorry for people like in an empathetic sort of way. Like I see you, I love you, I understand you. You are who you are. I respect that. I don't have to share your beliefs about the world. I thank God don't have to feel the same way. Um, I don't have to behave in the same way. I don't have to float above intimacy. I choose to have intimate relationships with my close people around me, but I see you and I don't have to stoop down to your level, but I can respect where you're at and love you anyways. The desire to change someone and to make them where you want them to be, because that's somehow going to make you feel better. That's the beginning of suffering. It's the beginning of an end of a relationship. It's the beginning of profound frustration. And so if there's a person in your life that is the way we're talking about, where you have a, a complicated relationship and you you kind of know they're just not going to change, recognizing that is huge. And then working around it, really working around it. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to see someone, especially if they're older and know that, you know, they're crispy on the outside and they're squishy on the inside, but God forbid they ever let that squish out, you know, and that's usually going to be an externalizer who was taught that being intimate, showing who they are, showing emotion, showing sadness, showing connectivity and connecting to another human is not safe. And that's hard. And you're probably not going to be the person to talk them into being squishy and being vulnerable and connecting with you. You might see glimpses of it. I tend to see glimpses of those folks trying to be intimate by way of things like text messages or voicemails. But one-on-one -on, -one on a phone or in person is usually not going to happen. I also tend to see these folks 
that have a difficulty time with intimacy, usually abusing alcohol or drugs or just very erratic behavior because I feel that they're they want to, but that block that lives inside of them is so powerful. It's almost like they become scattered and skittish and they just want to quiet the noise of wanting to connect. And so they, they lean into drinking, you know, they lean into the crutch that either allows them to connect and feel less afraid or quiets the desire to connect. This is this is how I have seen people that are crispy on the outside and squishy on the inside. They just have so much love inside of them that has either never been expressed or they want to express it and just they just can't. I say that from your point of view, so number four would be to still show up as yourself. You know, if you want to express love, that is very important that you still do you as long as it's emotionally, physically safe. If you have to then send the text message back because that feels safe to you, if you want to express yourself in person, just recognize the healing fantasy of if I come vulnerable, if I come from a loving place, then they will too, right? You can't go there. You have to recognize I might express myself and get nothing in return. I might get chaos in return. I might get shit thrown in my face from 10 years ago in return. But if you want to show up vulnerable and express yourself, the healing fantasy has to be recognized that you might be doing this because this time they're going to hear you. This time they're going to respond a certain way. So when you decide to pull yourself up and lean into that person and express yourself that you have to go in with zero expectations. And that's so hard to do because you want it to be right this time. But inside the healing fantasy is where so much trauma and people-pleasing and perfectionist behavior comes from. If I'm a good girl, if I get good grades, if I'm successful in my career, if I have a happy marriage, if my house is clean, if I'm thin, if I'm pretty, if I'm, you know, whatever it is, then people will accept me. Then I will get the love from, I hoped or did from my parents. And now I hope that I will from friends, bosses, and family. You see how this is working? So say when you were a child, your dad worked 10,000 hours. He came in the house, he kicked the dog, he opened the newspaper and grabbed a scotch. And when you brought in your A's on your report card, he gave you good favor, right? So you learned at a very early age by way of programming that success gives you love and affection from people that you want it from. And so there is a ding, ding, ding seed planted in your mind's eye that my success will equate to love from people around me, especially people that I don't normally get it from. You know, maybe you learned at a young age that being thin 
got your mother's favor. And so you, you're you now a wacko about exercising and eating right and being a size four. And because of that is what is going to give you what you want uh, emotionally in this lifetime. So if you're struggling or if you're having these things come up, I would go back to your childhood and say, when and how did my parents show me affection? Even when and how did my parents show me attention? Because if they showed you negative attention as a child, attention is attention. And so from the people you loved, you got attention by getting in trouble. There's attention. You finally got them to look at you. And so now you keep acting out bad behaviors. And that's how you know to get people's attentions. I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating how we continue to play this shit out as adults that we did as children. And to be perfectly honest with you, the reason you continue to play this out as an adult is to finally fix it. That is your higher self, your internal self. Just keep banging your head against the wall, banging your head against the wall, doing the behavior over and over and over again until you make yourself so damn sick that you finally wake up and stop doing it. You go, wait, what am I doing here? Why do I keep picking the same abusive partner? Why do I have friends that keep using me? Why do I keep entering into toxic careers or workplaces? Why do I keep overeating to the point where I have high blood pressure and all this other stuff? Why? What's going on inside of me? Oh, okay. I see it now. Because you will continue to do this until you make yourself sick, until you make yourself so sick of playing the game that you finally wake up and do the work. And so if you're going to be around people that you want to be around but are toxic, you need to recognize your part in the game. And when you silo yourself and recognize that there is a healing fantasy that you don't want to take part in anymore and then remove it, at first it's going to feel weird. Because what do you do when you remove the then, the if then? What do you do when you remove the then? Then you have to remove the if. If you stop looking for love and affection from people, then how do you now move forward in your existence when in your mind's eye, you now know that there is no payoff and there never will be a payoff and you're not even going to look for the payoff. And so now why are you doing anything? That's right there, right? Then you have to do it for you. But as a child, do you ever really do anything for you? Maybe play, right? Maybe maybe read, watch television. I don't know. Who are you without the then? Who are you without the interaction between people telling you that you're doing a good job or you're a good person or you're acceptable? Right there, right? There it is. What do you do when you can only use yourself and that all these people around you are just living their own lives on their own planets, existing in their own time and space, having their own traumas that have absolutely nothing to do with you? That's a them thing. I learned this when I was in my early 40s. And I I don't know if I've told this story here before, but 
I went to a school thing for my older kids and there was a woman there because her kids were also going to the same high school and it was like a parent's night. And so we filtered into this classroom and she was sitting in front of me and she was a mean girl when I was in high school. She was a bitch, to be perfectly honest with you. She was bitchy to everybody. She was a queen bee, whatever. And she was sitting about three seats in front of me talking to this woman. Now we're grown adults. We're in our 40s. And she just made this scowly face to this other woman. And I remember before this moment, I used to think that everyone's face was a reflection of me. Their looks, their face, their scowls, their disgust, their smiles, their affection, everything was because of me. I mean, how childish, right? I mean, what 40-year-old person thinks that the world's bullshit is about them? But that's how I was. And so in this moment, I watched her scowl, the same scowl that she had since high school. And something in that moment clicked that that's just who she is and that it never had anything to do with me. And in that moment, then I realized that everyone's bullshit doesn't have to do with me. And clearly it had taken me another like seven years to unpack the healing fantasy by way of this book and recognizing it even deeper of all the things that I'm talking about in this series. But I do remember in that moment realizing that her shit had nothing to do with me and never did. That was a her problem. But when you go even deeper with the stuff I'm talking about right now, what do you do when no one has anything to do with you? No one's shit is because of you. It's them. And so you're siloed in such a unique way that... It can be deafening to recognize, it, it can feel weird in your body, maybe even as I'm talking about this, like now what? What do I do when I stop trying to please my parents? What do I do when I stop trying to please the world around me? When I stop trying to show up in a certain way for praise, that I only do it for myself. It's actually very freeing. I maybe had mentioned that, you know, when I was, you know, graduated high school, I really wanted to be a beautician, but that was not in my family's protocol for what you do when you graduate high school. You go to a four-year degree, but I didn't because I, I didn't go to beauty school because I didn't want to disappoint anybody. And then I lived a great majority of my life in the expectation of what I believed people wanted for me, the way I looked, the way I dressed, the way I behaved. I heard a video recently, watched a video recently about, and this guy was talking about self-sabotaging behavior. And what he said was there's no such thing as self-sabotaging. Instead is a learned response from a negative reaction. And he discussed it in the way of when you're a child, you might be dancing, right? You're dancing in your family room. You're having a grand old time. And someone comes in, rolls their eyes, scowls, and goes, what are you doing? You look stupid. You look ridiculous. And then you're like, oh, oh, do I? Okay. In my, you know, I, I'll stop dancing. So you stop dancing for a while. And then six months later, you kind of like just start dancing again. And another relative or your brother or sister walks in and goes, you look stupid. Stop doing that. You look so dumb. Right? So you just stop dancing for the rest of your life. Are you self-sabotaging by not doing the thing that you love? No, you're surviving because you were told that, Dancing is not safe. 
being who you are is not safe. Doing what you want to do is not a good idea. You look stupid. You look ridiculous. And I spent a decent amount of time of my life hearing those voices in my head telling me that I was stupid, too much, too loud, dance too fast. I lived with that. You're too fat. Fat people are stupid. Don't do this. Don't eat that. Don't. It's a long. It's it, that's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so you're not self sabotaging. You're surviving. But when you remove the if then, when you remove the voices in your head that tell you that you're stupid or ridiculous or need to stop being you, it's weird. It's weird when you make those connections disconnect and you go, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm getting the tattoo. I'm going and I'm living in a van down by the river. I'm getting the wacky ass job. I'm going in a hot air balloon. All the things that my family made me afraid of or my friends thought were stupid or whatever. I have a whole line on my website of clothes and phone cases that say, if I'm too much, go find less. And I believe that. If I'm too much for you, you need to go, you need to go worry about you because I want to show up wholly as myself. And so when you're around these toxic people, and you know, you might really need to create some clear, healthy boundaries. And what are those? Those are time limits, those are conversations you are and aren't willing to have. I think I'm on number five, but I have found that there are a lot of people in my life that are not safe to talk about personal things because they can't control themselves. Either it's talking about something that my kids are doing or that I'm doing and, you know, they're like, oh my God, like it's just not safe to have certain personal conversations with people because they make it worse. They bring you down farther. They get aggressive. Like it's just not safe to share with certain people. And you need to recognize that. And that can be very difficult because a lot of people say, well, I want to have an intimate relationship with this person and tell them about myself, but they always do this. And I go, yeah, they've shown you over and over and over again that they're not safe, but you're not listening to them. They're trying to tell you stuff and you're not listening. And now you need to recognize that it's not working and figure out other things to talk about. And I think that goes back to number two of find 10 things to talk about that aren't personal maybe, or that if they do judge you or they do give you shit, that you're not going to be upset about it. You're not going to take it personally. They're not going to make you feel small or that you made a wrong decision. And I will tell you that most of the time, the reason that these people do this, the reason they go, you know, level nine is because of the fact that they themselves are in fear. They're fearful people. You know, they're an externalizer who needs to attack the world around them instead of just listen and see what it is that you need. So they go, you tell them about your kid and how maybe they got in trouble at school. Well, screw that teacher. You need to call the school. You need to call the principal. You know, it's 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 explosive. It, it be, the problem becomes bigger than it was when you just very casually brought it up. Now, all of a sudden, it's a thing, Right. And so recognizing the things that you are pulling unsafe 
people into your world because when you share, you're almost opening yourself up for judgment and ridicule. You're inviting the chaos. You're saying, hey, I want your opinion on this. I want to talk about this. And that is why I'm sharing it with you. So you have to be very aware of the things that you share with people because it might not go as you want it to, healing fantasy. It's most likely going to go the way it's always gone. And you might get glimpses of hope. You know, that's one thing that that you get tricked on is that the people that normally like act the way Sometimes they have like a glimmer of hope that they can be different, but we need to recognize it's a glimmer. They will go back to the way that they were most likely, and you need to be prepared for that. But to me, this work is for you. This book is for you to change the way that you experience the world and the people and the relationships around you and recognizing yourself and how you've been programmed and how you behave with the world and people and relationships around you and then recognizing other people's relationships and their behaviors so that you can move forward with clarity and understanding in a safe way with healthy boundaries so that you stop playing the broken role that you've been playing your whole life, not only with your family, but then, as I said, that continues into other relationships, the people-pleasing and all that kind of stuff, playing the victim, playing the martyr, you know, whatever it is, the whipping boy, so to speak. I don't even know if that's an okay thing to say. Probably not. So if it's not, I'm sorry. I should look it up after this. But yeah, like I think it's super important that we realize that this work is for us. We can share it with other people if they ask. You can talk about how this has changed your life. You can send them this podcast series. But you don't want to spin your tires with the healing fantasy that you're going to somehow fix them. And then everything will be okay. Because this is individual work. This is stuff that we need to do for ourselves so that we can live our our best lives in a world of personalities and trauma and chaos. You know, because I'm looking at it and it it, it would make sense that 50% of the people, you know, are internalizers, 50% of the people are externalizers, and we're all trying to figure out how to work together, how to interact, how to be safe, how to be happy. So I hope this season has helped Um, Some of you, any of you, all of you, uh, I hope that you've gotten something from it. I really hope that you go and buy the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant Rejecting and Self-Involved Parents by Lindsay Gibson. Um, It will be in the show notes, you know, to get even more in depth. There's a lot of stories in there of the, the, you know, the author um, interviewing people or talking about very specific scenarios in each chapter of, you know, this is Bill's story and what happened with Bill and his mom and how he was dealing with it and how he got through it and how he recognized it. And, you know, Stacy and all these different people in the book. So it's very specific examples of how this work has changed these people's lives and how they then have gone on to have healthy relationships with family members or recognize that, hey, I can't have a healthy relationship with them, but I can have 
a relationship with them with healthy boundaries and understanding that they're not going to change, et cetera. So I hope this episode has helped you. If you think that a friend could benefit from them, from it, please send it to them. If you haven't left a review yet, please leave a review where you listen to podcasts on Apple or Spotify. It really does help the podcast. And I appreciate every one of you listening. Next series, I'm going to be doing a completely different thing. I actually have a friend of mine, Allison, who's going to be interviewing me on very metaphysical topics such as manifestation and contracts. And we have got an entire series geared towards interviewing me with channeled messages and, you know, really trying to go deep on some of these bigger topics. If you like that series, what we might do is we might branch off and start an entirely new podcast of just her and I talking about these types of topics, like really going deep. Imagine Esther Hicks or Bashar or any of that type of uh, concept where she's actually interviewing me on how I think, because so often I don't know what you guys want to talk about because I'm me. I don't, I know what's in my head. I know you know, what the way I think about things, but she's a very normal person who has a lot of questions. And so we're kind of doing this back and forth where she's asking me these questions and I'm answering them. So I hope that you like the next series as well. Um, And that will be here next Tuesday. So check out the book that I keep talking about. Send this podcast, leave a review, send me a message at MeredithWillits at gmail.com of what you think. Um, Follow me over at Meredith um, underscore, I think it's Meredith underscore Willits on Instagram um, or Meredith with a Y on TikTok. And I will see you guys here next week with Allison. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.